to The Venue Podcast. The Venue is a worship gathering of Southcrest Baptist Church. To learn more about The Venue at Southcrest, visit us online at southcrest.org or on Facebook and Instagram by searching for Southcrest Baptist Church. We hope this podcast helps you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus. Amen. You'll go ahead and grab a seat. Hey, as you're turning to uh, the book of Colossians, I wanna see, would you, would you raise your hand if this is your first time back in the service since uh, all the COVID stuff? Awesome, let's welcome them back, yeah. You can clap, it's good, it's good. Man, glad you're here. And uh, hey, if you're watching online, uh, glad you're joining with us and just as soon as you're comfortable, we look forward to you coming back and worshiping with us. Um, Colossians chapter two, we're gonna be in verse 16 here in just a moment. Um, If you've been coming to Southcrest for a while, something that you know is true is that we believe uh, the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, perfect word of God. Amen? Amen. We believe that. And so we we take studying through it and reading it very serious. Um, And oftentimes what we'll do, not all the time, but oftentimes we'll take a book and we'll go through the book verse by verse very meticulously. And there's, there's some good things about, actually there's a lot of good things about that. Uh, a tough thing, but also a good thing, is that it brings you to, to difficult passages sometimes that at first glance don't always seem super relevant. Like I even, with the passage we're in today, uh, I last night asked my wife, Lauren, I said, hey, would you, you mind reading over my sermon and just uh, seeing what you think? And before you read it, check out the passage, read Colossians 2, 16 through 23, and she finished reading it and she was like, uh, good luck with that, bro. Because <laughs> um, it's a tougher passage when you first look at it. But here's what I love about going through verse by verse and and dealing with those um, more maybe abstract or seemingly irrelevant passages is it it shows us that all of scripture is relevant. When you you can't just skip around, but you have to dig into each passage, it helps you as, as, and and me also, as, as a believer, as I read through scripture, to learn how to deal with every single passage, and, and we're gonna have those times, that even as, as a preacher, I don't know why I did quotes, as a preacher, but as a preacher, there's times where I'm reading scripture, and I'm like, I have no idea what's going on here, I don't know what to do with this, but when we lean in to God's word and don't let the difficulty of it push us away, we're gonna find that it is always relevant, and it is always good. See, oftentimes, the problem is not Actually, always. The problem is not that the Bible is irrelevant, it's that we have our hearts and minds set on the wrong things. And so as we first <clears throat> begin to, to read this passage, um, I want you to fight that temptation to push away and go, not relevant, doesn't pertain to me. What we're gonna do this morning, we're gonna um, really follow pretty hardly the kind of the, the method of, that you should have used for Bible interpretation. It, when I'm preaching, when someone's preaching, they don't always portray that because you're, you're giving a sermon you want it to be engaging from the very beginning. What we're gonna do this morning is we're gonna pretty uh, strictly look at what it meant to the original hearers. And we should always do that. Every time I prepare a sermon, that's what we do. What did it mean to the original audience? What was God using that author to write to that original audience? So we're gonna pretty strictly talk about that this morning. And then using a hermeneutic word, we're gonna cross the bridge to today's meaning. So scripture has one meaning. We're gonna take that principle and take it into our time. Look at that one principle, the one meaning that has many applications. You all with me? 
So we're gonna be pretty strict, looking at what it meant to them, and then say, hey, what does it mean in our context? And if you'll hang in there, if you'll stick with me, now that you're gonna see that God's word is absolutely always relevant and always has something to say to us. And so let's jump in in verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value and stopping the indulgence of the flesh. All right, good, simple interpreting scripture. Verse 16 begins with, I'm gonna assume most translations have the same word. Verse 16 begins with what? Therefore, when anytime, like this is so overused, but it's still helpful. Anytime you see the word therefore, you should what? See what it's? Yeah, good job, all right, yeah. So it should make you go back. So he's saying, therefore, what I'm about to say hinges on what I said previously, we're not gonna go back and read it all, but if you look at chapter two, verse, uh, verses eight through 15, he unpacks that we are full, we are spiritually complete. We have everything we need spiritually in Christ, is what he says in verse uh, nine and verse 10 of chapter two, because Christ is fully God. And then in verses 11 through uh, 12, he works out what Christ has done on the cross has removed the barrier of sin between us and God. So now we can enjoy a relationship with God because Jesus on the cross removed the barrier of sin between us and God. And I love, man, we had a great time looking at verses uh, 13 through 15 last week, that yes, we were dead in our trespasses, but God has made us alive together with him. He's forgiven all of our sins, all of our trespasses, and he canceled the record of debt that stood between us and God. Not just the record of debt, the legal demand. So death, hell, separation from God, condemnation, shame. He's removed those things, and more than that, verse 15, he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. So we said last week, this, was, this is Green Beret, Navy Seal, Rocky Balboa, Creed, Jesus, right? He put the whooping on the devil and all the demons, showed them what was up. And so no longer can Satan and his uh, I don't, compadres, is that an okay word? I don't know. Satan and his boys, the demons, no longer can they use our sin to shame us because Christ has taken care of the shame and the guilt on the cross. And so now the cross is the constant reminder that Satan is just a chicken with his head cut off, that he's, he's ultimately done. His, his time is coming to an end. So in verse 16, it says, therefore, because you're full in Christ, because of all those things he's done for you, because you're completely forgiven simply based on what Jesus has done for you, therefore, 
Don't let anyone pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So the Colossian church, they were having these really false teachers come into their midst and say, yeah, Jesus is good. They were doing a lot of things, but particularly here what we see is they were coming in and saying, Jesus is good, but if you really wanna know him, if you really wanna attain a true spirituality, if you really wanna be forgiven, you need to make sure, in, in this context, he's saying you fulfill all these kind of Old Testament rituals, that you keep all these, we'll call them old school religious rules to make sure that you're good with God and that you can attain that true spirituality. That's why they list out a festival, a new moon or a Sabbath or food or drink because the Old Testament covenant, there were so many stipulations on how they were to live. And Paul is telling the Colossian church, because you are completely forgiven in Christ, because you have been spiritually filled in Christ, you are forever and finally free in Christ. Because of that, don't let someone spiritually bully you with these Old Testament regulations because you are completely forgiven in Christ. So don't be intimidated. Don't get insecure by them trying to put these other rules on you because you are full and you are forgiven in Christ. And then he, he kind of unpacks that even further, his argument. He says these, and he's talking about all the, the Old Testament rituals and, and even, by the way, I should say this, that verse, in verse uh, or that fra the phrases in verse 16, festival, new moon, Sabbath, it's likely these false teachers were not just referring to Old Testament religious rituals and laws, but even bringing in some of the other religions of the day and kind of having this mixture, these man-made ideas of how they're gonna please God, how they're gonna appease God. Verse 17, these are a shadow, so those things he just listed out, these are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So even in the Old Testament, the laws that were truly given by God, the, the rituals, if you wanna call them, the traditions, the festivals that were given by God, they were all a signpost, they were all a shadow pointing to the one casting the shadow, which is, starts with a J, Jesus. Yes, there were signposts to point them to Jesus, that he would be their perfection, that he would be the fulfillment of the law. It says, these things are the shadow, Christ is the substance. So he's saying, Colossians, how foolish of you. It's as, it's, as, it's as if someone walked up, I can see my shadow kind of on the stage here, I don't know if you can, but probably not, anyways. And someone walks up and you see their shadow and you spend all the time ooing and aahing and talking to their shadow. Like, first of all, that's really weird, right? But he says, why would you be obsessed with the shadow? Look at the person who is actually casting the shadow. That's what he's saying. These, these laws, these rituals, they were never what it was really about. It's really about Jesus. So why are you obsessed with, with the shadow, with the, with the rules and the rituals when it's all supposed to point you to Jesus? And then, and so that was kind of referring to maybe some older school ideas. And then in verse 18, he picks back up again with this, don't let them spiritually bully you. And he kind of focuses on some maybe what you could call at that time new school ideas. He says, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind. <laughs> let no one disqualify you. That, at its, its root essence, it's this idea of an umpire 
calling against you an unfavorable call. You're out. Or that was an intentional personal flagrant foul, right? Like too far. That was an office quote, by the way, for some of my people who know the office. <laughs> he says, don't let someone call you out. Don't, someone, don't let someone say, man, you know what? No, I'm sorry, you didn't make it. Nope, you didn't make the cut. You're not good enough. Don't let them do that, call you out spiritually based on asceticism. Asceticism, it's this mindset, it's this really, you could say, worldview in religion of, I'm going to deny myself of anything that could be pleasurable in this world so that I can be right with God. So it would say, I'm not going to enjoy any kind of food that would taste good. I mean, this, by the way, there's all kinds of different variations of this, but at its core, it's this idea of, I'm going to not take pleasure and enjoyment in the comforts of this world. So you know what that means? You can't go eat a nice steak. <laughs> you uh, can't have sex with your spouse because that would be enjoyable. You can't... Um, you can't go on a nice trip and enjoy the beauty of God's creation because if it brings enjoyment to you, then it might fulfill your flesh and it's gonna distract you from God. So you can't have any fun. <laughs> that never happens in church, by the way, right? We never have that attitude. He says, don't let someone say, no, you don't really know Jesus. No, you need to try harder. If their basis is just all these rules and saying you can't have fun, you can't, do anything or partake in anything or think anything that might bring enjoyment. Because if you enjoy something, it may, it may pull you away from God. It says, don't let them say you're disqualified basing it on asceticism, all these strict rules, and worship of angels. Uh, this could be, there's two ways. This is one of the, a lot of commentators would say this is one of the most uh, difficult phrases to understand in scripture because it could go really two ways. Either one is okay. Does it, does it mess with our faith? So one idea could be the, the false teachers were saying that you should worship angels. Yeah, we're gonna worship Jesus, but we also, also need to worship angels. And that's, I think the ESV, that's kind of how it translates it, the worship of angels. Another way to understand that phrase in the Greek is that these people are insisting that you should be so spiritual that you actually get invited up to heaven to worship alongside the angels. Now, when we worship God, are we, in a sense, worshiping with the angels? Yeah, for sure. But if I came to you next Sunday and was like, guys, I had a really good devotional on Wednesday, and I like, was airlifted by this light into heaven, and I was in the throne room, and I was sitting around with angels, it was awesome. You would be like, you're a creeper, right? And the problem, if I told you that story, which if you just woke up, I, that, that did not happen. <laughs> The problem with that story is it makes it all about who? Me. I think that's why that second interpretation is, is a very possible, realistic interpretation. I'm not, I think either one are fine. I think it's very possible because of what he goes on to say. They're going on in detail about visions. So that's why I lean towards the idea of they're saying, man, I'm so spiritual, I'm so set apart, I'm so good at following all the rules that I get called up to heaven and I get to sit beside the angels and worship. You should see what I see. And it says, Paul says, these people are puffed up without reason. So they're, they're walking around. <laughs> I don't, hopefully you track this. You ever seen those memes about, it's not a meme, but guys that walk like this and it's like, bro, you don't have anything there, right? It's like, yeah, you know, I'm not your typical skinny guy wearing a medium, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're walking like this, and it's like, you have no reason. You could clearly put your hands by your side, right? 
That's what Paul's saying is going on here. These people, they're walking around all puffed up like, oh, I'm really spiritual, I know a lot about God. And he says, without reason. Because just because you follow a bunch of rules doesn't mean you're actually walking closely with Jesus. So he says, they're puffed up, they're all prideful, but there's no reason to be. They're, they're just puffed up by their sensuous, the idea is their unspiritual mind. So they, this, this is important. Paul's saying, they talk a lot about spiritual things, but their mind, their thoughts aren't actually spiritual. And I think the, the context is revealing it's because they're all focused on themselves. Man, you, this is why this is tricky. And this is why this is a problem for the Colossian church. I can have a lot of spiritual religious thoughts, but if they're all centered and revolving around me and what I'm doing and my religion and my spirituality and how I'm doing, how I'm performing, I'm actually not very spiritual. I'm just, it's another S word, selfish. Focused on myself. That's why this is deceptive. It's tricky. It looks good. Oh man, they're really spiritual. But if it's all about you, then it's not all about Jesus. And if it's not all about Jesus, then it's not really spiritual. He says, verse 19, here's the real problem. We're gonna come back to this more later. He says, they're not holding fast to the head, to Christ. He's already outlined in early in chapter one that Christ is the head of the church. They're not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. So they're acting like they're all spiritual because they've done all these rules and regulations and religious rituals, but the problem is they're not clinging to Jesus. The one way to grow spiritually is remaining connected to who? To Jesus, to the head. If you cut off my head, I'm gonna die. Cole and I were kinda, I guess laughing, I don't, maybe that's not the right word to approach it. We were kinda laughing, thinking about this. What a weird picture that like, you've got this body walking around all like it's big and bad and boasting, but there's no head on it. So you're looking at it, he's like, it's a mere flesh wound, and you're like, like, you're, you're gonna die. Like, you, you, something's wrong, right? That's the picture here. They're walking around all prideful and big and bad, but they, they're gonna die spiritually. It's, it's what John 15, uh, or what John, John 15 used when he was quoting Jesus. He said, if you don't abide in me, what's gonna happen? You're not gonna bear fruit. You're gonna be cut off. The only way for a plant to bear fruit is to remain connected to the root, to the vine, right? You know what's interesting about that? Uh, even, I noticed the church, where are we at? Uh, there's a, I don't know if it's still there. There was a big trailer out in the our, uh, dumpster. Is it still out there? Yeah, big dumpster out there. And I drove by the other day and there were a bunch of branches in there. I guess they've been trimming up, looking really, looks good around here. There are a bunch of branches in the, in the dumpster and they still look green. When I if, I, if it's still there in a month, probably won't be. If it's still there in a month, I drive back by there. Are, they, are the leaves still gonna be green? Probably not. See, I think what's, what's tricky about, what was tricky for the Colossian believers about this, this asceticism, this uh, works-based religion, is for a little bit, when you cut yourself off from Jesus as the one who makes you grow, for a little bit, it looks like you're still healthy and, and green and flourishing. 
So you're like, man, I'm, kinda, I'm working real hard. I've got this self-reliant attitude. I'm gonna do this. I'm gonna prove to God how awesome I am. And it looks like you're still green and healthy and have a heart for Jesus and have a heart for the Lord and that you're really spiritual. But give it a little time and eventually that thriving, that greenness fades away, right? It's tricky because at first it looks like you're doing okay. So the problem with this rules-based religion is that they're not clinging to Christ. And the only way to grow is clinging to Christ. And then, almost with a lawyer type flair in verses 20 through 23, he gives this final argument. He says, if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Don't handle, don't touch, sorry, don't taste, don't touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teachings, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body. But they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. I don't know if you, if you weren't here last week, it's okay, but back in verse 15 we referenced earlier, Paul says that Christ has triumphed over the enemy. And, it, and I think there when he talks about the rulers and authorities, even kind of goes back to elemental spirits mentioned in verse eight. So Paul's saying to the Colossian believers, if you have died with Christ, you now have your life hidden in Christ, and no longer does the world have power over you, but Christ who lives in you has defeated the world, why is your lifestyle not matching that? If you're saying you have, you have this new life in Christ, this fullness of life, you've been completely forgiven and have a spiritual vitality in Christ, why are you still submitting to all these man-made religious rules and ideas of growing in Christ? He says, all, these, all, these religious, all this religious activity and all these rules, they look like they have this appearance of wisdom, they are very good in promoting self-made religion, but they're of no value in stopping your sinful flesh. So the idea is, all the rules and regulations that you could impose on yourself to try to be spiritual, the problem is they require no faith and the problem is they don't produce anything. There was one, uh, was it Jerome? I can't remember. There was a, a monk who said he was out uh, in the wilderness, in the desert, doing his monk thing, totally separated, doing, living the ascetic life. And he said the problem was, even when he was completely cut off, he was under all these self-imposed uh, rituals and religious actions. The problem was, his, in his mind and in his heart, his flesh was still burning with sin. The problem is you can do all these religious rules and activities, but if you're not clinging to Christ, it doesn't help you in overcoming sin. So Paul says, don't let someone intimidate you. Don't let someone make you insecure. Don't let someone bully you spiritually if they're not, actually don't let anyone do that. But he says, especially if they're not clinging to Christ. Because Christ is the only one that can make you spiritually full, satisfied, and Christ is the only one who's gonna help you grow spiritually. I think if I could give you something to write down and to consider, Any system of spiritual growth that isn't completely founded on the finished work of Christ will ultimately fail. Any system of spiritual growth that isn't completely founded on the finished work of Christ, you could even insert there, and sustained by the power of Christ 
will ultimately fail. So Paul's saying when these, telling the Colossian believers, when these people come by and they try to put all these rules and regulations on you, you know what you tell them? Get on out of here. I'm not gonna submit to this self-centered, self-imposed, self-regulated, self-sustained form of religion because it doesn't get me anywhere. The only thing that helps me grow in Christ is to cling to Jesus. Your relationship with Jesus is the key to your spiritual growth. You can, you can do spiritual activities and not be spiritual. There's a difference in just being busy with religious activity and actually clinging to Jesus and loving him more than anything or anyone. So Paul's saying simply in essence, it's not about the rules, it's about the relationship. It's not about keeping all the rules, it's about keeping close to Jesus. See, what, what's scary is you can read your Bible a lot and not have a clue who Jesus is. I would argue you can't know Jesus really well if you don't read your Bible a lot, but the reality is you could do all this religious stuff and not be clinging to Christ. Paul says, cling to Christ. So, I think we pretty well established what he was saying to them. Crossing the bridge, we've kind of already done that. That beware, stay away from any sort of workspace practice because it's not gonna help you grow in Christ. It's not gonna help you actually produce fruit as a Christian. But three things real quick I wanna see, I want us to talk about of how to apply this. I think the, the first one's obvious because he says it. I want you to hang in there for all three, but especially the last two. But listen to this first one. Application from Paul. Don't let anyone impose on you a program of spiritual development that does not have Christ at the heart of it. So you could say it this way, maybe simpler if you're taking notes. Don't let people push rules over relationship. If you're encountering someone, a pastor, a teacher, a friend, who as you begin to have spiritual conversations with them, if they push rules over relationship, you need to get on out of there or have a very serious confrontational conversation of what's going on here. By the way, if we could like press time out for a second. Do you see that Paul is not saying holiness doesn't matter? He's not saying you shouldn't try to, try to live a pure, holy life, but he's saying it should all be centered and grounded in on Christ and the fullness that's already in him. You tracking with me? He's not saying holiness doesn't matter. Okay, so it's don't let someone impose on you a program of spiritual development that does not have Christ at the heart of it. So smaller way to say it, don't listen to people who push rules over relationship. That's the first thing for application. I was, I was talking with Lauren about this last night. What's a little tough about this passage is I don't think often or very... Uh, yeah, it, it's not something we encounter all the time. People imposing on us religious rules. I mean, sure, there is some, for sure. But like, I don't think 
It's pretty rare that I have someone come to me and say, man, I've got this friend who's wanting me to follow all these religious rituals and they're kind of trying to judge me and condemn me and they're kind of being oppressive. Like typically, we don't, I don't hear that as a pastor. But let me tell you what I hear a lot of. Self-imposed religious rituals. Anybody with me? I'm saying a lot of heads nod. If you look back at Verse, uh, verse 23, or verse 22 and 23 says, they're human precepts, they're human teachings. They have indeed an appearance of wisdom, but they're not, they don't really help you grow in Christ. We live in a, such a comparison culture that anytime we get on social media or have a conversation with somebody, we immediately begin to to judge and base and evaluate our spirituality, our relationship with Jesus based on what the other person is doing. How often have you been on, oh my phone, on social media and you see someone post about their devotional or a book they're reading and you're like, I guess I gotta add that to the list. Anybody else do that? Yes. <laughs> We're so bad about it goes back to the last week, and if you weren't here, it's okay, but we, we wanna take the paid in full sign down from the cross, like, well, I don't wanna add to this. I, man, God, Jesus, they're doing a lot of stuff. Maybe I need to do that too. I would submit that no one bullies you spiritually more than yourself. Paul's saying, don't take your eyes off of Jesus. He's not saying that we shouldn't Strive to know Christ by saying, don't be a bully to yourself. Look to Jesus. I want to read a little bit from, um, this is an article written back in 2004 uh, in the journal Biblical Counseling, but I found this recently. I think it, it's going to be helpful for today. <clears throat> and this idea of not imposing on yourself a program of spiritual development that doesn't have its roots in Christ. It says, the antidote, so the antidote to this self-absorbed, me-centered, me-striving gospel is this. It's to remember what Christ has done and fix your eyes on him. As you gaze at the multifaceted char character and work of Jesus Christ, his finished work on the cross, his ongoing high priestly intercession, intercession means prayer, for his people, the need to self-atone or establish a self-righteousness will diminish. Self-cleansing, either for the true guilt of real sin or the false guilt of imagined sins, which is what you could call religious OCD. Anybody else? You feel guilty for something? You're feeling ashamed about something? But if someone said, what do you feel guilty about? You're like, I actually don't know. Like, I'll, I'll confess. Like, that, that sounds crazy. I admit, that sounds crazy, but I do that sometimes. Like, what's, what's, what's wrong? What are you struggling with? I actually don't know. I just feel kind of guilty. It's called a guilt complex, right? Also known as religious OCD. It says, those self-atoning, self-cleansing, those things are never enough. All your penance, all your regrets, all your anxieties, all your sacrifices and uh, duties are not enough. Only the blood of Christ is enough. And it is that very sacrifice that can embolden you to step into the light and forsake the real sin, self-absorption. Jesus has kept all the important standards. He has done everything that needs to be done and he has done it right. Any additional standard we oppose saps the vitality 
from that restful reality. That's a good word. By the way, if, you, if you, that interested you, you can Google um, what is the Journal of Biblical Counseling, and it's called Obsessions and Compulsions, Breaking Free of the Tyranny. Obsessions and Compulsions, Breaking Free of the Tyranny. It's from winter 2004. You can download that whole PDF. It's like 12 pages long. Lots of good stuff. If you're like, man, that kind of sounds like me. I'm a spiritual bully to myself. You should check that out. So to go back, application. One, don't let someone else impose on you these rules of a relationship. Then the second thing is, don't let yourself impose on yourself rules over relationship. Y'all with me? And then as I think about, we're gonna close here. As I think about this passage, there's one more thing. I had a buddy recently uh, from my task of Texas, Bob Coleman, wherever David is, um, texted me earlier, and uh, I guess a few weeks ago, and he said, man, he said, I was, I was reading Colossians. You said you guys were going through Colossians. He said, I was wondering, what would Paul write to my church if he wrote a letter? What would he write? It's a great question. I'm not gonna like, I don't wanna be heretical, so I'm not gonna like say, this is what Paul would say. But, Hypothetically, if we could talk with Paul and think about our situation, I think something he may, oh, my closest, something he may point us back to, we've already focused on it a lot, but it's verse 19. That the way we grow is to hold fast to the head, which just means hold fast to Christ, cling to Christ, because it's in him we're nourished and we're knit together. And I love the end of verse 19, that we grow with the growth that is from God. We, we uh, at our house, we've got some new plants. Um, and what I, there's like a spiritual metaphor that I love to think about every time I go out and try to water them, or not try, I do water them. I will try to water Every time I go water them is I can try really hard to make the plant grow, but ultimately that plant grows because God made it to grow right? Like me going out there like, come on, you can do it, doesn't do anything. It grows because, because God ordered the world to make it grow. But it grows as it's rooted. You as a Christian grow, not because you try really hard, but you grow because you're rooted, you're connected to Christ. It's a growth from Christ, not a growth from Brandon Tryon, not a growth from Charlie Tryon, not a growth from Kim Tryon. No, it's a growth from God that he strengthens and nourishes you. I think too often in our culture, we, we love this idea. Man, saved by grace, got my fire insurance, I'm good to go. And we just, if this, if this represents Christ, we just kind of leave him over there and we go about our business. They would wonder, man, I don't, I, I don't struggle with legalism. I don't believe in all that because I'm saved by grace, but I'm just not really growing. If you're not connected to Christ, you, you're not gonna grow. Y'all with me? Grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning. You can't earn, that's what Dallas Willard said. You can't, you can't earn anything with God, so it is opposed to earning, but it's not opposed to effort. Don't let your disdain for discipline, oh, I hate waking up early. I hate, I hate doing hard things. <laughs> Don't let your disdain for discipline keep you from clinging to Christ. Clinging to him, it does take 
some effort, but that's how you grow. And don't turn that into rules and regulations, but make it about the relationship. My relationship with my wife, we went on a date night on a Thursday night. It had been way too long, like several months. Um, but it was important because the only way to help that relationship grow and thrive is to invest in it. An investment takes, comes at a cost, right? Your relationship with Christ, you're growing in him, that relationship thriving takes investment. It takes time. Don't turn into a spiritual bully on yourself, but cling to Christ. Y'all with me? We're gonna, I'll ask the, the worship team to come on up. Um, and I wanna just briefly kind of lead us through a, a, a time of prayer, really just saying some things and let you talk with God about those. Um, so yeah, if you would, uh, this is a little different than we normally do, but if you would, go ahead and, uh, not that you have to do this when you pray, but I think it's helpful, especially in a big room. Bow your head, close your eyes. Um, and first, just take a minute to thank Jesus that you are spiritually complete, that you are full in him, that you are completely 100% forgiven and accepted based on what he's done, not based on what you have done or will do. Just take a moment to thank him for that. Second thing, I want you to just pray, because it, it, man, it could happen. Um, pray and ask God to open your eyes. If there's someone or a book or a podcast that has a bad influence in your life because it's a form of spiritual bullying, it's, it's putting on you regulations and rituals that God did not in, intend for you to follow or to worry about, pray that you'd open your eyes to that, that you would see that. If it's something that someone's imposing on you that's keeping you focused on rules over relationship, ask him to open your eyes. And then take a moment and ask Jesus to help you to quit beating yourself up spiritually. To quit bullying yourself spiritually. Ask him to break you free from the tyranny of this self-obsessed, self-driven, prove it or lose it activity and say, I just wanna, Jesus, I wanna rest in what you've done for me. Yes, I wanna cling to you, but I wanna rest and your finished work on the cross for me. God, help me to see it's not about keeping the rules, it's about keeping close to you. If you need to hang out on that prayer, I don't invite you to hang out on that prayer, but one other prayer, maybe this is a lot of us, is just as making all about the rules is terrible and doesn't help you grow in Christ, completely ignoring and forgetting about their relationship, clinging to Christ is forgetting to do that, not endeavoring to do that is just as bad. So maybe your prayer this morning needs to be, God, help me to cling to you, help me to hold fast to you and to know that I can't grow apart from you unless I abide in you. And abiding with you in a relationship takes time, it takes energy. 
but I'm not gonna grow if I'm not walking in you, rooted in you, built up in you. So ask God to help you do that. Ask him to show you what it looks like. Ask him to give you the discipline to do that. And to strip away anything that would hinder your relationship with him, that would hinder you from growing in him. That he, that Jesus alone would be your greatest delight and foundation. Let you continue to pray for just a moment and then we're gonna sing together. If you are encouraged by today's talk, be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you stream your podcast. The goal of the venue is to help you find your greatest pleasure and purpose in Jesus by being relational, helpful, hopeful, and real. Thanks again for listening to the Venue Podcast.